Welcome to Booked, the Warmed and Bound sessions. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livius Nedden. Warmed and Bound is an anthology published by Velvet Press consisting of just under 40 short stories, all by authors who are members of or involved in The Velvet, an online community of authors and fans of the trio, Will Christopher Bayer, Craig Clevenger, and Stephen Graham Jones. Warmed and Bound is being released into the wild on July 22nd. Among the Warmed and Bound authors is Chris Deal, author of Cienfuegos. His writing has also appeared in the anthologies Bloody Carnival, Eternal Night, Southern Gothic, and You're Dead, I Killed You. Chris also currently edits for Nefarious Muse and The Outsider Writers Collective. Chris, thanks for coming on. It's really great to have you on. Oh, thanks. Uh, Happy to be here. So, Chris, tell us a little bit about In Exile, your story that appears in Warmed and Bound. In Exile is an odd one. I guess um, it was actually the fourth story. I guess you could say it was the fourth story submitted to the anthology. Didn't I? Didn't even actually submit it though. She, the editor, saw it and wanted it for the. She saw it in a workshop setting and said that that was the story for the anthology. We'd have been having some issues because um, I actually tried to back out of the anthology. For, um, in the early stages, and she insisted um, something along the lines of she would find me, hunt me down, and break a few bones if I backed out of this <laughs> anthology. So I ended up uh, writing three stories initially. Um, each one, first two weren't quite there. Um, the third one, it it was good. Um, that was the one we were going to run with. And then she saw in exile and that's what's out now or that's what's in in there now and it's a uh, i guess you could call it a love story of sorts and uh, uh yeah i think that's about it love story of sorts i thought it was really a great way to finish the book out i thought it was a great outro um to the book just the whole feel of in exile and, and the story and stuff was just a really great way to to, to leave off the book so wow I really liked you. it so, could you tell us a little bit about how uh, you first got involved with the Velvet? Uh, this was years, years back. I'm going to think around. Well, I guess this is about seven years ago, if my math is correct. When um, uh, I did spend some slight amount of time at the Cult, heard tell about the Velvet, and slid over there, and now I'm apparently the person who talks the most over there (laughs) uh do you have any official roles or are you um just a member who posts uh, profusely i'm i'm a i I think the term is a breather i'm a mod but i don't have all of the capabilities as someone like ferg or logan has i can edit and i can approve stuff but i can't approve like members i can't go into the back the back end and change things around luckily because of things I would have done if I could (laughs) okay and um, Warmed and Bound being an anthology uh, uh, a product of the Velvet how do you feel being published alongside some of the big names of the Velvet like uh, uh, Craig Clevenger and Stephen Graham Jones I tell you it's it's mind blowing it's a dream I've been writing for a good number of years now and I just never actually imagined to be I, I'd, I'd have the opportunity to be published along uh, alongside them, let alone 
people like uh, um, shit, Vincent Louis Corella, uh, Richard Thomas, any of them, Gavin Pate, man, that guy is a beast. I love that guy. Mm-hmm. Any of these guys, it's a, it's, it's, it's an honor, pure and simple. It's an honor. Yeah. That that being said, of all those great authors, whose story are you looking forward to reading the most? Oh, let's see. I've read a couple of them. I'm going to have to say, I think uh, Rob Parker. He's got a story there, We Sing the Baldy Electric. If it's anything like the last story of his I read, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. The last one was... Um, Gavin Rosdale is a skinny little bitch. I think that was the title. <laughs> and uh, so it's kind of, that, that was a sort of bizarro, bizarro story with Cthulhu and Gwen Stefani and Gavin Rosdale. So I can't wait to see what he has with this one. Me, <laughs> how. Um how book titles or story titles can draw you in. Some of them are, you know, just mysterious enough to draw you in, and some of them are just goddamn funny, and that's what makes you pick it up. Oh, yeah. So uh, changing the the direction a little bit, uh, if we could talk briefly about uh, Cien Fuegos, your, um, your book with Brown Paper Publishing. Um, oh, yeah. It's kind of a unique collection. Um, can you tell the listeners a little bit about, um, a, a little bit about it? about what makes it uh, kind of different than your typical collection of short stories? Uh, Sin Fuegos is a collection of around about 30, 35 short stories. And I, when I say short, I mean all underneath 100 words. And it was uh, actually that, that had its start on um, the Velvet as well. A little while back... Um, Richard Thomas or Wicker Cat over over there. He's in the anthology as well and he's a mighty fine chap, very mm-hmm. tall. Uh, just what all writers wife. want said about him, very tall. <laughs> yeah, oh, he's a good guy. Uh, my wife doesn't want to hear this, but I had a smoke with him just earlier in the month and good chap. Uh, but anyway, he started he had this contest going to write 100 word short stories and I uh, won that contest, and I think part of the reason I won it was because I wrote about 57 stories for it. Yeah, 57 100-word stories, basically edited it, somehow cut away um, some of the crap, some of it, because there's still, I I think, a little bit of not good in there, but that's just me. Uh, So I edited it down, and somehow I uh, sent it to Pablo... And he took it. Uh, an interesting thing about that is I think I actually participated in that contest. Um, did you know? Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Rob, what what place did you come in in that contest? I came in not even mentioned, I don't think. Uh, there you go. <laughs> but, uh, Let me no, see. I'm gonna, you really, I'll see if I can track it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I mean, I can I can share everything. I can forward it to you. But I, I, when you said that, it really struck a memory. And I was like, this sounds very familiar. And I was thinking, oh, that's probably because I participated in it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that was uh, look at that. Look at that. This started back in August '09. Wow, that was a long time back. Mm, that uh, right. Can't wait to. I'm gonna have to go through your list <laughs> or through see if I can find your story. <laughs> um, Damn. 
Well, talking more about the book in general, um, my one of the impressions I got from it was that it's got a uh, a very multicultural feel to it, with um, with Spanish language uh, splash in there, and then lots of cultural references and stuff like that. Um, where does this perspective or this feel come from for you? Well, me personally, my personal ethnic background is Southern white boy. Lived in North Carolina practically pretty much my whole life. Just moved up here to Illinois a couple months back. But uh, the Spanish influence comes basically from my my, uh, wife. Just basically trying to learn about her culture. I mean, it's amazing coming into uh, coming into a um, well, for all its purposes, a marriage with someone of a completely different cultural background can be a little crazy so I guess I just um, I went gung-ho trying to learn as much as I can and kind of bled into my writing a good bit that's great well it came off um, for me and again I'm kind of the same your typical white boy but it, I felt very authentic to me I think it came through very well oh yeah I mean I, that's what I hope um, uh, just a few of those were mo- a, a lot of those stories where that showed up it was just trying to tell a story and just so happens the uh, people it's about aren't typical southern white boys so <laughs> still my favorite story in there has I, I just can't remember it the name of it which is really bad because I don't think I've actually opened up a copy of that book in a while I can't remember the name of it it's one of the, I think one of the only zombie stories and somehow I let a I didn't write just a hundred like a hundred hundred words zombie stories I don't know how that happened just let one zombie story happen and it was about all the people from America going down to Mexico to flee from the zombies mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh, it's still even though I, I'm awful and I cannot remember the name of that story it's still one of the most fun I had writing you know what I found myself, and I hate to say this, um, I found myself skipping right over the names and jumping right into the stories. The names are, well, Cataract, I thought, was one that the name was important. Oh, you like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it had me thinking one way, and like it, it had me interpreting the imagery and stuff differently than you know I think I would have otherwise. Yeah, that was, I probably went a little, little fun, had a little trying too hard with the thesaurus but at the same time that was a perfect term for the imagery i thought yeah and the story you were referring to i think is dias de los muertos ah yes love that one i love just hearing rob's try to speak spanish try he's better he's better than me i uh i still can't really she hates it i i butcher spanish all the time (laughs) Mostly just to annoy her, but still. Do, do you just yell out, like, from, you know, from, like, your little office area, like, hey, honey, how do you say this in Spanish? Can you spell that and then, like, throw it into a story? No, I actually just, uh, usually, uh, I, I, Google Translate, honestly. Because if I try to ask her something, I'm really afraid that she'll just uh, have me, if, if I'm, I'm like, hey, honey, how do you say uh, the dog was purple or, you know, whatever. I'm just really afraid that she'll actually say "hijo de madre" or something. Just try to <laughs> slip in some curse words, which are Speak. a lot of fun. Let me 
Speaking of Google sure. Translate, today I used that to translate one of Malaz Corbier's tweets. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez, Malaz. Oh, I love that guy. <laughs> I'm still I'm still getting the hang I I've had a Twitter account for a little while, but I've just recently actually started to use it. And let me see what he wrote. Uh, who knows? Who knows? I don't know how to find him. But uh yeah, he's a cra- he's a crazy weird person. <laughs> Um, speaking of favorite stories, both Rob and I talked earlier, and both of us really liked the story Illusions. Ah. Can you tell us a little bit about that story and what inspired you to write it? So it was a, um, the cyclical story. Actually, um, one of the cool things, when I had the, when um, Pablo told me that he was going to publish this and he just wanted me to get it looking the way I wanted to, I actually printed these out and took them to... Um, a, my uh, writing teacher or former writing teacher at the college I used to go to uh, Aaron Gwynn uh, amazing author hands down one of my favorites and uh, that was one that he thought was really 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 good so I always remember that and that was I think this is one of the times where I was influenced by the idea of what is it called constant return eternal return which um it's one. Of, it's a weird little what is it? I don't know, cosmological concept, um, which whoa, if I remember how to explain it correctly. If the Big Bang is the universe expanding outwards, and then if the universe slows down, and eventually it'll fall back in on itself, back into the point of the singularity. If then after these. After every all matter in the universe is condensed back into that one point, say it expands again, another big bang. If the matter goes the way same way it did originally, we'll be walking um we'll be having this conversation a few trillion years in the future. Hmm. And a few tri- few trillion years in the past. Also I guess there was a little bit of Finnegan's wake influenced in that. I guess I could have just said that and uh, <laughs> not not wanting to the whole thing about me sounding like a jackass just now. <laughs> um, one of the things that I, in thinking about it, and not to go into this huge an- analysis of such a such a tiny story, but when when you're writing microfiction like that, um, one of the things is that it feels so uh, you know constricted. But the fact that mm-hmm. this kind of tricks your mind into going back to the beginning, you just made a story, you know, easily twice as big as it could be with the words that you use to make it. So it was kind of a nice trick of, of changing the size of something that's by definition, something small. Oh, wow. Never. I, hey, <laughs> I never thought about it that way. <laughs> as far as microfiction goes, I've been a fan of microfiction for years and I, up until recently, and you know, thanks in part to, to Axel Tayari and even some of the other warmed and bound authors and some of the other stuff we've been reading more recently, I've just finally gotten around to kind of enjoying that mid-range short fiction, you know, seven to, you know, 40, 50 pages, because I always thought that that was kind of that medium where it wasn't long enough to really draw you in, and it was too long to really be impactful because of its size, and you, from reading Cienfuegos, are very, very good at microfiction. Um, What do you think, what do you find that's so appealing about it, that very, very short format? Well, the short format, the short fiction, uh, I mean... I mean, yeah, you want to, you, you know how to say this right. Uh, if you can't say something good in just a few words, can you say it in a lot of words? 
Well, it's both easy and at the same time extremely difficult. I mean, I guess it's difficult. I all I accidentally wrote half these stories. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's all about, I guess, just that space between a handful of heartbeats, moments. Oh, I don't know. Um, okay. Sometimes I guess you don't really need a full story. The entire, you know, beginning, middle, and end. It's good. I mean, that's great. That's what we need to have. That's what most stories. That's what we're trained to have. What we're trained to desire out of a, a story. Sometimes you just need a moment. Sometimes you need a lot more. It just depends on what you're trying to tell the audience, what you're trying to uh, reveal to them, and what you need to tell it. Uh, one of the thoughts I had about microfiction is that it seems like it's kind of it's kind of a size or smaller fiction or you know smaller short stories is definitely a size that would lend itself to uh reading it live so do you do readings anywhere or how often if i you... i have done one <laughs> uh, i'm just too lazy to actually track it down back in charlotte there was very little of that mm. i managed to track down a poetry reading once and i did i think cataract and cataclysm and you know it it wasn't my it wasn't my thing i i i i'm not going to say i had a bad experience but i'm not going to not say that too many people trying to sell their books so that uh, just got annoying you know i i, I can i don't know if you it was an open mic thing or anything for you but i i've been to a couple of like poetry readings where it was like a loose format and it seemed like one of the problems was that you'd get, you know, a group of people who just wanted to test stuff out as opposed to, you know, sharing something. And so they were testing material to see what a reaction they would get. And it was, it kind of ruined the night. So I can see where, I don't don't know, readings for me are hit or miss because you get a bunch of people that are just using it for their own, you know, their own reasons instead of participating. Yeah, there was like, um, the last reading, the, this one reading is the only thing I've ever the only thing I participated in. There were two people that stand out, both good and bad. There's this one guy. He was maybe, I would say, ballpark, 80 years old. He wrote a, he he read a poem that he had written. It was it was pretty it was it was gorgeous. And then he he put that he put down his his paper and he recited um, he recited. Uh, Something just balls out beautiful. From his, you know, something he had read years ago. It was one of those moments that other poems are written about. <laughs> and it was it was a thing of beauty. It was amazing. And then there's this other guy who apparently I, I honestly don't know his name. Uh, I wrote all these people's down and I lost that. This guy was a big poet, relatively big. Lots of books published by relatively decent sized presses and he read this poem and it was about 10 pages long and half of it was him reciting the following goo 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 and oh my god and uh he are we gonna have to get permission from that author to to let you know that you just did his poem here on our show uh, I think we should be good. <laughs> I think it was probably, it might have been coup instead of goo. I don't know. Oh, then we're safe. I think we're good. 
But this guy was just honestly, it, he, he damn near killed he just writing for me. This guy was just so damn annoying. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the problem with those types of things. You it attracts the bad elements too. When did you become serious about writing and what is it that led you down that path? Um let's see, twenty six I think, twenty six now. If you ask my mom, it's when I was about four years old, five years old, something like that. She had a word processor. And I thought this was the coolest damn thing in the world, a word processor. That was fucking <laughs> sweet. Uh, and I had her, I basically scribbled uh, in my it with a crayon uh, a story. It was all about the X-Men. And uh, it was like a, something, I mean, the X-Men are... I don't know. They were doing something. She's got it somewhere. And if you ask my mom, that's probably around, that's probably when I first started writing. And I remember elementary school. We had computers. This was, they were brand new. They, I think personal computers, hell, I don't know. I was actually for, kicked off from, I was forbidden in um, the third grade to use the computer at school because the only thing I ever did was use the word processor to write stories. <laughs> and apparently that was not what they wanted. They wanted you to play those games and learn math and all that. And it's, I don't care. <laughs> that. And uh, But I've been really writing for you know, just a good few couple years now, just trying to get good at it. I'm not there yet, but I'm hopefully one day. <laughs> Uh, this is a question that I ask a lot in interviews, and it's it's really hit or miss, but I like it. Do you have any re- writing-related rituals or habits that you get into when uh, when you're getting into the mode of, of writing? Well, it used to be a um, cup of coffee and a cigar. Um, not so much a cigar anymore. Um, <laughs> good music and a cup of coffee, a cup of water. That's about it. All right. Music-wise, just depends on what mood I'm in. Could be post-rock, Godspeed, Explosion in the Sky, uh, This Will Destroy You, that type of stuff. Or it could be Sage Francis, Wu-Tang Clan, whatever I'm in the mood for. <laughs> Do uh, the different music yield you different results? Honestly, no. Music's just mostly there for background noise. It's just, uh, uh, I like to have it there. I like to have it on. I don't usually concentrate on it. I don't. It's usually, well, white noise to me. Editing is something you're currently involved in on two websites, Nefarious Muse and the Outside Writers Collective. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what it is you do editing short fiction? Um, uh, this is incredibly narrow-minded and sad, but I basically look for stories that I wish I I had written. I look for moments that are beautiful, moments that make you say, God damn, that is cool, or stuff that makes you want to cry or scream or evoke evoke some emotion other than, really? That's how you're going to describe it? Which, I guess, is goes to say that I should probably not be editing, but uh, doing it anyway. As far as editing goes, do you think it influences your writing, at least that aspect of, of what you do, or do you think your writing influences how you edit? Um, honestly, I, I think it just 
reading all this stuff, it, 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 it shows you the tricks, things that people do, the things that people, uh, you, you learn, you learn the shorthand that people do to get something across and you learn how, I guess you learn what not to do. i looking, looking through the slush. You learn what not to do. So do you want to tell us a little bit about, uh, what you're currently working on? So I'm working on right now a story for an anthology that is going to be published by Mike Gonzalez out of uh, from Thunderdome. Um, Thunderdome, Thunderdome, love that place. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we we've had that conversation. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I love I love that place. He, he's published a few stories of mine. And uh, this anthology is basically he used uh, I don't know some took some really cool pictures of California and uh, I can't think of the name of it and he's gonna kill me for this but he took a bunch of pictures of his you know around where he lives in California and just got all the people he wanted to write who, who wanted to be part of it we all took a look at these pictures claimed them and that's what I claimed uh, I, uh, I've got a story I'm working on. For it, I have to go back and uh, do some final edits, uh, and it's I guess um, that's it should be really cool. I think that's going to be coming out August, I believe. At some point, I've got a story coming out in Crime Factory. Uh, don't know when exactly. Then I'm trying my hand at some novellas and actually trying to just write some good stuff right now. Very recently, you were published on Dirty Noir, um, Doc O'Donnell's website with a sliver of glass. Um, you got lots of praise, both for myself and in some of the comments about some of the great imagery in that. How do you come up with that imagery? I'm not picturing that you're sitting in the middle of a field somewhere when you're writing this. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. Um, that story, I hate to say that, that feels almost like a castaway story. I just was sitting at my old job uh, in the a cigar shop um no one was coming in i opened up the processor and i just started writing and that came out and i guess um i was talking to richard thomas a while back and uh he mentioned something to me that i think might explain it um he said something about how he he sees the world in skyscrapers and glass he sees the city and i i i see the world i see the open spaces so i guess i'm just um uh, drawn to the open spaces and i guess that's what i'm used to and grew up in relatively uh, unconfined areas and th that's what I, that's what I see when I close my eyes I guess all right before we wrap everything up uh, is there anything else that you'd like to plug or talk about that maybe we haven't talked about yet through my, for myself I can't think so I think um, I hope everyone picks up a copy of this um, one to bound you guys are doing an amazing thing everything you're doing for it um, I thank you. We all thank you. If I could cheat plug for someone else, I hope everyone would track down Unaccustomed Mercies by D.B. Cox. It's an amazing writer, and I think he needs to be uh, more widely widely read. And uh, that's about it. Very cool. Chris, where can people get a hold of you? I'm at uh, www.chris-deal.com, and I apologize. I have not updated that in a long while. Charlie, track me down on Twitter. I have a count C or Chris C Deal or something. You know, I'm there. 
I'm around. Best of luck to you, Chris. Thanks so much for joining us here on Booked. Uh, thank you very much. Yes, uh, thanks once more to Chris. We were really, really lucky to have him on. It was a great time. It certainly was. Um, you can pick up his book, Cien Fuegos, for a very reasonable $5 for the print edition at Amazon.com or just $0.99 cents for your Kindle. And you can find his story in exile in Warmed and Bound, which will be out in just five days. And here's just a couple ways you can get a hold of us. You can find us on Twitter, at Booked Podcast. You can go to our website, which is BookedPodcast.com. And you can email us at BookedPodcast at gmail.com. And that will do it for this interview episode of Booked. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Don't forget to come back tomorrow for another Warmed and Bound session. 